vital and important bit of this conversation. And uh, that's the artists and the musicians themselves. Mm. Uh, by way of example, last week, for the first time in 25 years, it was a British artist sitting at number one, two, and number three in the North American album charts. Right now, creatively, I think I probably would argue quite forcefully that creative British talent is as strong, is as good, and as vibrant and exciting as it's ever been. Hell, it's only, what, middle of March? Um, we've already had the Adele album and uh, Stokes album coming out and on and on and on. So yeah, we overlook the talent and the music and all of this at our peril. Right. It's clearly the rest of the industry is utterly dependent upon, and I'm going to be very jingoistic in the next 10 seconds, so I don't care the ability of this country and the British Isles and the United Kingdom to produce some phenomenally, remarkably, brilliantly talented young people. Mm -hmm. And so long as there's still somebody in a spare bedroom in a council estate in Doncaster that this afternoon will create the best bit of music anybody's ever heard, then we're still going to have an industry. So clearly all the stuff you just outlined is stuff we have to deal with. It is the fourth or fifth historical transition my industry's had to go through. 120 years ago, there's people selling sheet music. Edison comes along, invents a thing called the phonogram, and bang, within a single generation, it completely restructured that industry. Yeah. Uh, some of us are old enough to remember what the spin-off of the Second World War called vinyl did in the 1950s for rock and roll. It turned out to be quite a good scene. Cassettes in the 1970s, CDs in the 1980s, and for me, this is just the next variation in it. But I'm actually incredibly optimistic, and always will be optimistic. Sure. Some of the last 10 years has probably been a bit painful in places. We now, I think, are beginning to come out the other side of it. We've got the talent. There's now 74 licensed services here in the UK. Mm -hmm. That is beginning to get a bit of traction now, beginning to develop. You've probably heard all kinds of comments about Spotify and the scale that it's now beginning to get over the last few months. So in many ways, as a music fan, I think it probably isn't been a better time to be a music fan. You get it in a thousand ways you want it, when you want it, how you want it, how brilliant is that? Yeah. And the market is and will stabilise itself and find its equilibrium and drive forward. So it might be hard work for the next couple of years, but I actually genuinely am very optimistic. Cool, nice to start on some optimism. Um, Paul, Universal is, uh, I think, still the world's biggest major label. Yeah. You run digital in the UK. What's, um, the, what's uh, your take as a label guy um, on how the last few years have gone and where we are now? What I loved about what Fergal just said is that he started by talking about artists and the, and the quality of artists that we have in this country and I think our digital industry will be as strong as our arts community is and you know at Universal we've got some, we have our big Take That's and Rihanna's and the artists that you might have seen on the Brits but we have new artists like Jamie Woon and James Blake who are, who are sort of really critically brilliantly received. Um, I think from a consumer point of view, Fergal's absolutely right, there's probably never been a time to be a music fan and um, the number of digital services, you, Fergal, that was, that was going to be my, one of my key Sorry, thunderbol thunderbolts, yeah, that's okay. <laughs> but you know, there are, there are over 70 digital services now, so really regardless of uh, the kind of music you like, how you want to consume it, whether you want it on the go, on your desktop, uh, whether you want high quality, whether you don't care about quality, on your phone, effectively free, download to own, stream, you know, you really probably have to have some incredibly niche tastes and consumption habits not to find a digital service that suits you now. Mm. I think part of the challenge for us is connecting the right people with the right services. I think for, um, for broad swathes of the, of the population, digital music can still be a bit confusing. I can, I can give you some kind of anecdotal stories about that later. 
but I'm also extremely positive. I think when we look at partners that are appearing on our uh, on our income sheets now that barely existed a year ago, and, uh, amongst others, you know. But spot, I mean, Spotify's become a word that we use in the way that I think that people use the word Hoover when they mean vacuum cleaner, really, it's a bit of a catch-all term for streaming services, but to look at that to them as a, as a partner, A, it's what a phenomenal service. For, for £10, you can basically have all the music you want, when you want it, now, on the go. Fantastic. £10. So even if you only like music a little bit, I think that seems like an amazing deal. And um, I spent some time with them in Sweden over the past couple of weeks, and they're you know, they're a Swedish company and in, in Scandinavian territories are a little bit ahead of us, but where they've got to in terms of brand recognition, how people have adopted that, that particular partner, some of the partnerships that they're doing with ISPs and telcos in other countries, which is a space we're definitely getting into and, you know, we've got some exciting stuff in the pipeline. So I think really exciting, you know, it's definitely tough for sure. And I think there's a lot of bad news stories in the industry around physical retail, what's happening with HMV and it doesn't, press love to seem to love to pick up on those things but I think uh, we're in a really great spot a lot of challenges and some exciting places that we can go. Okay thanks Dave, Dave Haynes is a stand-in for Alex who sadly is, uh, is ill today um, and you, you told me this morning by email you, you had a hot-footed from a meeting with Al Gore. Yes not a personal meeting with Al. Right what was going on there? <laughs> oh it was, it was quite interesting yeah, Shazam which is you know one of, one of these kind of new amazing innovative apps that are you know helping us consume and understand more music. <laughs> Um, innovative, amazing music. Pardon? I, I always like the way people use the word innovative with technology, but it's also using the innovative music. Yes, and right indeed, yes. yes. And, uh, okay, yeah, yeah. and presenting that to people who are kind of search for it as well. Um, <coughs> I, I think for me, I mean, to, to circle back around on, on what Fergal was saying, I completely agree. And I think that the exciting thing for me um, is that, you know, for if you're a music fan, like Fergal's, like said it already, for a music fan, you've never had a better I've got a device in my pocket. I mean, we're all sitting here with like device where we could tap into like every single song, pretty much. Um, you know, that's ever been recorded. You know, we can play this, we can share them with our friends. Um, and I think you know, in a way, like technology has really brought us to you know going through this line of you know CD vinyl, you know, the phone around. Like we've almost reached the pinnacle of music consumption. I really, don't think that we've got it ever uh, ever better before. The thing that I think is probably one of the next exciting, I mean, there's a lot still to be, you know, worked out on that side of things, but the, like, looking a bit more further into the future, I actually really don't, I, I think this has been, this is the best ever time to be an artist as well. And on a couple of different levels, I think if you're a, an artist that's actually trying to find an audience and trying to sell something or go on shows, you know, it, somebody mentioned James Blake earlier, I, I was in Austin last week, sat in an absolutely packed church like, you know, full of Americans, and this is a guy that's really come up through, you know, he's a guy who's, it's him and his computer making music, and for me it's really quite beautiful. And so SoundCloud is a, is a technology platform based on the web that um, tell us, allows people to post and share files? Yeah, so what, what I was just going, going on to say was that, um, like, so as well as this really great era for, for the consumer and for the existing artist, what's really exciting is how technology is completely changing the way that we create music well and allowing more creators um, and I think that's going to be one of the next revolutions you know we see it in all different forms of media you know, people taking photos people blogging people tweeting you know people don't just want to consume they also want to participate and create and I think that's one of the kind of the, the key things that SoundCloud helps with 
is that, you know, like, if it's me, you know, recording, you know, my son, you know, singing his first song and posting that to the internet, or if it's a James Blake who's, you know, just done something in his studio and wants to share it, you know, and early yeah. to his fans. So, I mean, really, for SoundCloud, we, we just try and help people, um, you know, like, our audience is mainly creators, and we just help them actually go and, like, share their music. It can be privately if, it, if you're working in the industry. We have a lot of professionals just using it instead of horrible services, like you send it in FTP and things like that. Okay. But um, also on the public side, you know, anyone who's got audio to create as well. So, again, it's not just music. It could be comedians, poets. Right. Um, Clive, uh, um, Absolute Radio, in its previous guise, Virgin uh, Radio, was, I think, the first radio station in Europe to broadcast online 24-7 live. Yeah has always been quite innovative when it comes to online and I would say still is really. Um, what kind of knowledge and learnings have, have you built up uh, regarding digital music distribution? How, how healthy is this scene at the moment? Well I think the key thing for us is to understand the changing consumers. So radio had, had a unique relationship with consumers and has had pretty much up until recently a really, really unique relationship with the music industry in terms of broadcast. And, and now that consumers are now having the ability to create their own playlists on great products like Spotify, I think we as an industry have to understand that, that for us, um, the, the idea of the industry being almost almost totally music, um, with some notable exceptions, is changing. Mm. So radio broadcasters like ours and others are saying, actually, we music and great music from British talent is hugely important, but we've actually got to invest in non-music too. Yeah. And that's where sort of SoundCloud comes in as well. So you know, for us, it's pushed ahead in comedy and sport. Now, that doesn't mean that we're going to turn into a comedy and sport channel anytime soon. But whereas typically years ago, it would be like, okay, you, you know, play some music, have a great morning show, sell some adverts. So the, the, we've, have, we've been disrupted also um, by the advertising economy and the digital economy. Mm. And um, I even, you know, that word playlist was a word that we consider a sort of partial ownership of or creation <laughs> of, and has now been used as consumers as their playlist. Yeah. So that's something really interesting for us. The other thing for us is that the music industry is now a music industry. I think some of the stats you talked about there felt a bit like the recorded music industry stats. And it is an overall music industry. So Fogel mentioned under 20 years ago, street sheet music. The actual recorded music industry or the retail or the physical is relatively new compared to the overall music industry of thousands of years. Yeah. People have been performing music for money, either been commissioned for thousands of years, or as, as far as we can tell, mm. and uh, whether it's on some form of other instruments. So I think that you know, the music industry is, in, is actually in very strong health and um, maybe retailing is, is for HMV and others are very challenging, but when you start looking at the, the live industry and the, and the role that music plays in people's lives, it's never been stronger. And the, and the economies that are coming through live and all of the other stuff, I think, shouldn't be ignored. It's still very much part of the music industry. Yeah. It may not be dominated or influenced by the same stakeholders yeah. who have been involved in the music industry in 50 years. It's a different sort of stakeholders now. You know, agents, managers, artists, promoters, venue owners, Live Nation, Ticketmaster, but they are, they're all in the music industry. And I think that shows the sort of the British love for having music in their lives. And in this, this streaming thing, for us, what we see is IP being a massive growth area. So, you know, we are significantly over 10% over of all our consumption is our IP. Even though we have very expensive broadcast platforms, FM, AM, DAB, well over 10% of our IP. And, and that's really a combination of how much time our 
community want to spend connected via mobile or desktop. And you know, I think that's something we've really got to be, care you know, could be aware of because once we move into an IP situation, we've lost any form of wall garden that we, in fact, we enjoyed with licensing. Yeah. And that's meant that as a, as a brand, we've been quite aggressive trying to make sure we keep up with that distribution that our consumers prefer. It's interesting that you just mentioned uh, and reminded me that the music industry is not just the recorded music industry, it's not just about people going out and buying tracks. Um, uh, I wonder if there's a parallel with, there with what we just heard in the last debate about paywalls and everything that media and news, news and magazine operators are going through right now. Somebody mentioned in the last session, uh, what's the popcorn? Can we get people to buy other ancillary uh, revenue streams? Can we add other revenue streams? Do you think there's anything that um, a radio business, the music industry um, can, can uh, share with uh, other media operators in that way? What, what are the revenue streams that are to be looked for? If not, you know, people charging people to buy stuff. Well, what, what I hope is going to happen is that I personally believe that, that streaming products have become very, even more mainstream. We're talking about a million people. And I was in Scandinavia last week and um, in, and uh, we're talking about Sweden. And in Sweden, they've released some statistics that show that Spotify's consumption amongst teenagers per day is now greater than the teenagers' consumption of music radio. That's probably not surprising to a lot of people in the room, but this is now a sort of like a stat, stat from the lead Spotify market. So, and I'm thinking, okay, well, that's going to come true. So there's maybe a million subscribers, total Spotify, whether how many of those UK, there'll be 3 million by the end of this year, there'll be 10 million by the end of 2013. Yeah. And maybe the growth will be even greater than that. And there'll be an iTunes streaming product, I'm sure. There'll be a Google streaming product. And there'll be some other ones that I haven't even thought of. Big market leaders. <coughs> so uh, what I'd like to see from that is some, some white labeling going on, actually. I think that actually those brands are really important. What I'd love to see is sort of um, Spotify, um, iTunes, and Google going, actually, let's, let's view this as distribution platforms with great rights and actually use trusted brands, whether it's The Guardian or whether it's Absolute Radio or whether it's you know, uh, Capital Radio, as a, as, a, as, a sort of an, as a sort of curator of those masses amount of streaming products we can have to try and help the consumers filter these 13 million, it will soon become 20 million individual tracks. Yeah. Because radio's great at creation, whether it's John Peel, you know, 30 years ago, or whether it's, you know, um, Alex Zane, you know, now, this red, that's where, whether it's journalism or creation. So I think we'll, the idea that everyone's gonna put together their playlist, everyone is a journalist, everyone is a playlister, that's fine, but actually I think we need people to help navigate. And music discovery mm. and navigation is where radio can really work with the music industry. We've, we've become used to, I guess, um, record labels banging on about piracy and look at what we've lost, and you know, despite Fergal's optimism. But is it maybe, as, as Fergal has done, time to drop with um, the doom and gloom? I, you know, I put it to you that uh, digital has actually saved the record business. Um, some other stats, global digital music revenue has grown a thousand percent since 2004. I wonder what, what would have happened had iTunes Store not, not cropped up. 29% uh, of labels' di revenue is now digital. Pretty much all UK singles are digital singles, you know. Um, well, listen, I don't think I can sit here and pretend for one second that uh, competing with free and people will be able to download whatever music they want under certain circumstances without either the owner's consent or indeed paying for it has not had an impact on my industry. Mm. You just cannot pretend. Mm. It clearly has. Um, I think, for me, one of the kind of fascinating things is the way the conversation from my perspective of the broader industry mm. has changed over the last two years. And you were right when you said that other media sectors now, like radio, television, newspapers, are now deeply engaged. And I'm talking to people like that every single day now. 
and all have the same somewhat look in their back of their eyes that perhaps some people in the music industry had five or six years ago, kind of going, what do we do? Well, why are you asking this? Well, mm. you guys are now five ahead, six years ahead of the curve in this one. What experience and what knowledge? I also think people kind of try to bestow the music industry 10 years ago with some remarkable insight and crystal ball. Now, I can give you a really simple example of this, which Clive will recognise. Back in the early 2000s, this country read its whole communications, media, ownership legislation. And it was a humongous piece of work. Completely restructured, cross-media ownership rules, foreign ownership rules of British radio stations, telecoms companies, colossal bit of work. It does not, all 500 pages of that legislation does not mention the internet once. And there was a very simple reason. In that even then, some of the brightest minds in the world could not describe what the internet was or what the hell it might look like. And this legislators, a whole bunch of people, and I was vaguely involved in the periphery of the conversation, made the decision, how the hell can we possibly legislate and put a regulatory system together for something that nobody can describe? And this was some of the finest minds this country had to offer, mm. could not come up with the answer. So how the hell did somebody expect the music industry all by itself to just wade into this thing, jump off a cliff and go, it's all, Eureka, we've come up with the idea. So we've spent the last 10 years just feeling our way through it and getting some decisions right and some not quite maybe the way we wanted. But for me, just for the record, and I'm happy for Paul's opinion on this, I am really happy to give people whatever music they want by whatever delivery mechanism they want. Does not make me uncomfortable, does not phase me in the least. And the only caveat I attach, people I still think or sense occasionally that people think there's a silver bullet, that there's one solution and one type of service and one type of product that's going to fix this for everybody. So far, there really isn't. And you're probably going to have to do with the music industry. Get out there and without losing your shirt in the process, in your company in the process, try and experiment with different models, see how the consumer gauges tape, can we build on it. <coughs> I'll shut up in 10 seconds, but it's important for you. The 13 million tracks you referred to, we all spent a huge time, amount of time four years ago chasing after the long tail. Chris Anderson, free. Remember all of that? We have done some analysis looking at 84 million online transactions which covered all 13 million of those songs. 10 million of those songs nobody even bothered to download once. Still a hits business. It's still a hits business and it always was. But that, you, know, you just apply that across consumer behaviour. Yeah. It's why WH Smiths and Heathrow sells Dan Brown novels during the month of August and not selecting poems of Seamus Heaney. Mm. Much to my personal <laughs> disappointment and regret. But I really appreciate people just want to go to bloody Portugal for a week, lie in a deck chair and read Dan Brown. It's okay. I'm happy with it. It'll be all right. Uh, Paul, like I said, things are pretty healthy, aren't they? Um, by volume, you, uh, single sales have, haven't been higher in donkeys, but of course, that's not necessarily offsetting the decline from physical. Is that just something you have to suck up and accept? I think it is. You know, there's a, the, the, We can't argue that... I, I'd love to sit here and say everything's completely... You know, Rosie in the Garden, where we're selling, you know, albums, digital albums, in the way that we were CDs 15 years ago. That's clearly not the case. But I think certainly um, in the digital space, things are very healthy. And I think for the overall health of the industry, that's a pretty good vital sign to read by. You know, I think we're seeing great growth, we're seeing adoption of services, and I think from an industry perspective, somebody brought this up in one of the keynote speeches earlier in the magazine business. We, you know, they said we used to have a pretty simple business model. We we 
we wrote published papers or published magazines and we sold them in shops to customers mm. and now things have changed dramatically and that's kind that really is the conundrum for probably all businesses in the digital age now is that there are a million different platforms and a million different consumer segments and a million different ways to consume it in the past there's no doubt that the recording music industry has been not as nimble as it should have been in experimenting reacting uh, you know we've not been i suppose particularly transparent and I think that model has been clung on to, as it, to some degree as it should be, because it still makes up the crux of our business. That's the other thing to remember, is that bricks and mortar retail and physical retail are still the key part of our business at this point. So we're not chucking out the baby with the bathwater here. Um, but I think that there's definitely an imperative on us now to, um, to, to be the fuel for innovation, I think. You know, we're, what we're not as technologists and futurists and guys that can build you know these great things like SoundCloud and, and Dave do. Yeah. I think we're an industry of creative people and we can contribute to that that innovation chain um, but we were, we were just having a discussion before we started about how, you know can can we as Universal be more open with our data and create an API that allows developers to come and play and create these things so I think to refer back to one of your other questions or what something that Fergal said there are lots, so many different ways now, and those 74 services are all slightly different in some way, and the ones that will have some unique element to them, and the idea of what I, what I don't want to get to, or what I don't, and where the industry can't get, is just a whole number of me-too services where there's a, you know, there's not a one-size-fits-all digital solution, there's definitely no silver bullet, uh, and if people are expecting us or anyone else to deliver that, then um, I think they'll be waiting a long time. Is the notion of offsetting physical decline making up for it? Is that still something you guys are shooting for? You know, making up for this this lost revenue, or is that going to happen by accident, just just by virtue of physical uh, well, withering away? Or uh, I I think that the potential and and the potential scale in the digital market is huge, but very difficult, if not impossible, to to read. Uh, and I, I keep coming back. I mean, it's sort of an anic an anecdotally. I think that to refer to Spotify again, it's such a brilliant price point and a brilliant product, and there are men, you know, many similar ones. That, like I said, if you only like music a little bit, it's a great proposition. I think I think what we, what we all need to do is help manoeuvre people from the notion that music is something that you buy and own whether it's a physical or digital product, is something mm. that you can effectively rent. It's just a different consumption model. And TV is quite a good comparison, I suppose, to that. I mean, who would have thought 20 years ago we would all be paying Sky 80 quid a month to, to watch telly? It was something that was just there and free. Um, so, uh, lost the thread of your question there. But I think just to add to what Paul is saying, <coughs> kind of broader perspective across the industry, I would really caution people about getting too obsessive and too anal about trying to use one day offset the other. Yeah. yeah. Where you constantly have to keep looking at the completely broad picture right all the uh, way On across. a very sort of practical level as well, you know, the the, the the metrics by which our previous success was measured in was unit sales, you know, largely. And we don't that's not the digital consumption model entirely, although they, although we saw some really healthy growth in the digital album market last year, which I think surprised <laughs> sort of analysts and industry alike, um, you know, should we measure our success well, in a very simple way, you know, we're now looking at numbers of streams, we're looking at income from uh, mobile products, we're looking at income from uh, ad revenue on ad funded services, so there's a sort of, I think it's a, becoming a little bit like apples and oranges, comparing apples and oranges, and, and certainly not, that's not 
something that we sit and talk about you know daily at work i think for us at uk music the focus is very very clearly about growing the value of the online market in its totality so that everybody in the process benefits Matt, the record companies investors the managers the artists people driving new services like soundcloud and indeed all the media companies and the isps and tech companies but, but that will only happen if we all grow the overall market but the, th the thing that the, the music industry, as far as recording music sales goes, relies on, does mimic um, the old bricks and mortar world, doesn't it? iTunes effectively, I, I think, mimics you know, the idea of per track consumption, units of packaged product that you buy. And it's been done that really successfully. But now um, I think the numbers show that sales of tracks have plateaued, have, have gone flat in the US. I, I think you have, to, you have to look at music consumers kind of in a, almost in a conveyor belt sort of way. So, so the, the people who, I suppose, are the crux of the iTunes business are people who may still be, um, have, have a foot in the physical. So people like me, right? I, you know, I bought vinyl, then I bought CDs, and then I bought a digital version on iTunes of those things, really. Go and speak to kids who are 12. They don't care about that. You know, the consumption models that they want are video and streaming and you know, connectivity devices and sharing with their pals. Those are the things that matter to them. So I think while iTunes is clearly a dominant digital partner now, and I'm sure it will remain so for, for some time, and they're an important partner that have put a lot of value back into the industry for, for artists and labels alike, I think we'll see other digital partners and other digital services proportionately start to contribute more and more to this sort of digital value chain. Mm. Yes, I mean, SoundCloud is a technology platform that's trying to help the industry out. Have, has the industry got, got its um, technology ducks in, in line correctly? What are problems that these guys need to have solved? Yeah, well, I mean, it's, it's interesting. I think that the labels quite often get get bashed unfairly because you know, people are saying they're not innovating and they're not doing this and that. And actually, I mean, I spend a good part of my week speaking to the labels, and, and actually, there is some extremely like smart people like trying to change. I think the problem is that you know if, if you've got any kind of you know industry that's going through change, you know the larger companies, it's just more difficult for them to change. And I think I think there is just some underlying kind of like structural issues as well, you know. And, and ultimately, you know, you know a lot of it is repertoire that might have been signed, you know, a long time ago before any of this stuff even existed. So you know, there there is certain frameworks that, that people have to work within. Um, but I actually feel really optimistic. It seems like in, even in just the last, you know, two or three months, there's, there is this big sea of change, and there is this kind of, you know, optimism, and, and, and people have kind of got past and, you know, taken certain, you know, chips off the shelf, and, and really actually saying, well, actually, no, we're, you know, we've got all this fantastic repertoire. We, you know, we, like, we've perfected, you know, how to kind of, you know, our, our relationship with artists, and you know, how we work these things, and we, we understand audiences and things like that. And I think if, if the labels can really, you know, do do what they do best that and then you know come to technology partners you know like SoundClouds and Songkicks and Last FMs and you know all, all these different players who, who can offer something exciting I think there's there's something there there to be had and um, I mean one thing that that, that I um, like help run is a, a thing called Music Hack Day um, and we actually did the first two hack days the first ever one was in the Guardian so it's quite nice nice to be back <laughs> talking about it um, and I mean, of no, I mean, both Absolute and Universal were both sponsors of the last Music Hack Day here in The Guardian. So I think, I think whilst, you know, there, there is a lot to still be focused on, on, you know, the day to day and what's happening with the existing business. I think there is a lot of forward looking people who are really getting to grips with what the, the new opportunities are. Mm. Um, for myself, I mean, you know, I kind of probably go on this, go on about this point, but 
I really think that the developers actually have a massive, you know, part to play in, in the future of music, um, you know, as, as gatekeepers. You know, before it used to be, it did used to be, you know, the John Peels and the, you know, the Simon Cows of this world who decided, you know, what got signed and then what, you know, the end consumer listened to. And actually, I think, you know, those roles are completely, um, like, changing. So I think, and I, I completely agree. I think um, the technology partners, and as a British digital economy, we've got some fantastic um, start businesses. Mm. You know, whether that terrible phrase is Silicon Roundabout, but you know, and, and mentioned there, you know, the SoundCloud, Songkicks, and Shazam, they're all in the music industry. They're using fantastic British creative industry to actually, um, with technology, to create business models. And the business model in Shazam is one of the biggest partners of iTunes in the world. Um, that is an app discovery, music discovery app that is, could not be made possible without an artist, but also the partnership with artists and innovation is the secret there. And you know, I think that's you know, the, the other challenge, I think, is the creative side, is that if you are a 12-year-old, <clears throat> you know, 15 years ago, you probably just want to become a rock star. Now I'm seeing, you know, my kids' children actually will, they'll want to become a rock star, but they actually want to become a web developer because, you know, it's actually a, a, a no career way. that people want to do. Clive, there's no way being a web developer is anywhere near as cool as being a rock star. Well, it, well the thing is, right, <laughs> just can't be true. You need to have you a would know much better, absolutely. <laughs> but, can I just, I mean, we were, like, usually on the front of Billboard, you have rock stars on the front of Billboard. <laughs> and Music Hack Day was on the front of Billboard. Yeah, but that's my point. In the front of, front of the Wild magazine, <laughs> we now know yeah. Mark Zuckerberg, you could argue, is, is for me, famous in his generation as John Lennon was in his and you know we know Steve Jobs is revealing of a product is no different from me queuing for a from a Frankie Goes Hollywood album in the 80s. Now, I mean, the people now queuing for devices. Now, technology has become really sexy, and, but the technology that is sexy is the stuff that merges it with music, and it's all part of the music industry, and embracing IP and music. IP is much less exciting when it hasn't got brilliant creative content, and at the center of that is music. Who'd have thunk it? <laughs> um, oh, okay, I'll possibly concede it, but I still would argue your social life as a geek is no way as good as a social life as a rock star. <laughs> <laughs> and you'd know. I can see. Apparently, I may have some past, far, distant recollection of all this. It's an, there's an interesting point there about, uh, I think you mentioned before about um, curation. In a world of musical ubiquity, where you can get whatever you want whenever you want it, um, you know, some, everyone sees it. Oh, it's like Spotify paralysis or service paralysis when you kind of go, I've got all this music, Radiohead again. You know, and I think this curation is kind of now, there's two, there's two it's kind of two sides to that coin. There's the, I suppose, more traditional, whether it's radio, DJs, people like John Peel, you know, publications, but which is kind of personal recommendation or third person. And then you've got guys like, uh, you know, the, the hackers and SoundCloud who are discovery. So there's curation that comes through discovery in that way. And I think that's a real bit of the business that has a, has a huge value kind of commercially and from a nurturing music fans perspective as well. Um, and, and it's part of the reason that we want to be as engaged as possible with, with smart dudes. So I mentioned that you know, per track download sales have been a success story and now the growth has tailed off. It seems like labels are pinning their hopes It's on. still growing though. It's still not It's not in decline or flatline. No. Still, we still see growth in that Absolutely. market. So. Um, but it seems like some of the labels are pinning their hopes on, you know, you, you've used the S word Spotify, unlimited subscription model, um, people are noticing and so on. But, but it, <coughs> are the labels prepared to let go of the notion of a piece of music as a single unit, consumer product unit? Are they prepared to let, you know, the whole repertoire go free for 10 bucks a month? That's well, a big mindset shift. Well, I, I mean, the answer to that is yes, because we're doing that already. Right. We, we have deals with, we have those deals in place. Um, I think the, the, 
the mindset shift is maybe one about how we uh, measure our own success and you know like I was saying before we measure success on the number of albums sold but actually if you look at services like Vivo or Spotify or We7 success there is about market share and within those services mm. and commercially speaking it doesn't matter if all those streams come from a Lady Gaga track or whether they're all from Chris Anderson's you know non-existent long tail and I said there's a there's a, sl a slight 10% perception shift there and I think how we sort of look at that bit of the business. Why are the labels so gung-ho about Spotify in particular and why um, are the, the your parent companies in the US more reticent towards such unlimited subscription services that have an advertising component which is seems to be something they're uh, less keen on. Uh, is it because the European labels have equity stake in Spotify? It seems like the labels regard over here regard Spotify almost more as a partner than a client. Well, I think we. I think uh, if you were to come into our building, and I can't speak on behalf of the other, the other labels, we consider all of all of those people that we work with, whether it's Spotify, We Seven, SoundCloud, HN, you know, doesn't matter. They are partners. Mm. We don't think of any of them really as as clients. And I think there's. Um, there's a sense that when we work with people, it really has to be a partnership, and that notion of collaboration is much more is much more real now than you know. I've been I've worked for record companies for twelve years, and even in that fairly short time, uh, I think there's been a, a real change in uh, how we perceive ourselves in, in that time. You know, we are partners and we collaborate mm. um, in an industry where historically maybe it's been a bit more like, here's our product, it's brilliant, take it, that's what you get, kind of thing. Um, I think, I can't really answer your US question, I think you could, you could certainly speculate that the US is a very different landscape from a licensing perspective and the number of labels and the number of publishers. I think, uh, I suspect they probably just want to see how, it, how it's working here, they're beginning to see that now. Um, is I think, Universal licensed Spotify in the US yet? Yeah? Not yet. And I couldn't tell you where that is before, where that discussion is before you ask as well. But I certainly, I mean, certainly there's positivity around it in the industry over there. I think um, we, you know, always need to be really sensitive about this UK versus North America argument, where they put a slightly different perspective on it. I'm told that most local people in North America mm. have a choice of two uh, local ISPs, and that's it. Right. Well, living in North London, I think I've got 14 or 15 now, the last time I checked. So does that make us better than North America, or worse than North America? Has Ofcom done a better job here than the FCC over there? Mm. And they're just they're different cultures, different companies, different perspectives, and it doesn't matter what sector I looked at. They're just different. Right. We unfortunately speak this common language <coughs> from the historical kind of connection 200 years ago. So I don't think it's fair to sit and compare the f fact that I can get free local telephone calls in my house in Los Angeles, but I have to pay for the buggers in Northland. Well, so what does that, what does that mean? I mean, Spotify is the most successful of the subscription unlimited access providers. Um, a million subscriptions out of uh, 10 million total users, but but some of the I mean the royalty situation that flows the royalties that flow from Spotify to the collecting agencies on the label seems quite opaque, really. I, you know, I've asked PRS for music what kind of rate Spotify's on. Yep. I've asked Spotify what kind of rate they're on. Yep. They won't say. But if, if it was a standard rate, they'd say it was standard rate, right? And so I, I guess that is one of the reasons that we see these reports cropping up that, you know, Lady Gaga only got tuppence halfpenny for <laughs> X million plays, which I understand those reports to be in, incorrect. But should, um, shouldn't, shouldn't, right, shouldn't me, PRS and Spotify be more upfront about well, what's let, going let, on? Let me deal with that one. 
PRS, for example, just so you're all aware of it, is a member of UK Music, along with the BPI and everybody else, and is a not-for-profit organisation owned collectively by the 60,000 uh, songwriters and composers that are members and the music publishers. Clearly the reason they did that and set that up organisation up almost 100 years ago now, I guess, was that A, it gives them some sort of size economy scale when they're trying to negotiate yeah. on behalf of 60,000 songwriters composers. And ironically enough, and curiously enough, makes life for the licensee at the other end a hell of a lot more simplistic and straightforward. Because believe me, trying to chase 60,000 songwriters around on individual basis mm. and trying to clear rights with them, you really won't want to have that conversation and that's no detrimental treatment to some of my peers. As a publisher member of PRS, there is no way on earth I would want to get out in the public what was fundamentally the details of a commercial negotiation between an organisation mandated to act on my behalf and clear rights on my behalf in what is a very competitive commercial market. <coughs> do I expect the Guardian to start handing over into the public domain all the details of its commercial negotiations with suppliers, contractors and everybody else and apply that any other sector or any other business or any other commercial environment? We wouldn't do it. So why are people asking PRS that is non-profit making, that is there acting on behalf of its members to try and raise as much money as it can, to clear the rights as they can for its members and pass as much of that as expediently and as quickly as possible back to those members? Because I'm sure you also have, so are payments to artists, payments that reach artists, mm. are they adequate from the likes of Spotify? Uh, I'll give you a personal premise across this. As an artist, I was never paid enough for anything, and man, I own all my own catalogue, by the way. I have to put my hand up here in this one. Right. So, you know, do you ever feel you get paid enough for doing any job in life? Does anybody in this room feel he's paid enough for doing anything in life? Well, the answer in reality and honesty is probably yeah. no. Yeah. So, I'm not remotely prepared to go into the particulars of Spotify and all the rest of it. I don't think, again, this kind of credence to the question to ask anybody in the world, do you think you're paid enough for the work you do? Because the default answer is going to be no. Right. And that's no disrespect, because I think Paul's got the right sense, and for me it is the direction the industry's going in right now. Where are these people our partners? Do we need to be doing something constructive, collaborative, very symbiotic together, that will actually grow the overall value of this in a way that we can all benefit mm. in that process? Good. Well, let's all go there then and have that conversation. I'm sure yeah. you're happy with what you get from Spotify. Universal is one of its biggest proponents. What? How much of that are you passing on to artists? There have been some complaints that you know the the, the issue with artists receiving small payments from Spotify is because the labels are holding a lot of it back. Uh, well, I mean, we're certainly not we're certainly not holding back. I think what you have to remember is that the whole Spotify business model is based on tiny micro payments, effectively. So I think when I think if you, if you look at what am I earning per stream, and that will of course vary artist by artist depending on the deal we got with them, and yes. I certainly can kind of get into that. Then that's quite a difficult thing to wrap your head around for, for a consumer or an artist or anyone really versus a, 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 a you know a nine ninety nine retail price on a CD, for instance, as it may have been in the past. That landscape just doesn't exist in that way anymore, you know. So mm -hmm. I think um, we, we, the other thing to remember is, is if we were not if we were not paying artists properly through new services like Spotify, We7, YouTube, Vivo, we would we would find it very difficult to sign them. It's an extremely competitive landscape when it comes to signing into A and R, and you know we, we're. We're there to we represent our artists in that space, and it's our duty to do, you know, the best we can by them. So the deals that we have 
with these uh, with, with these licensees individually have always got to have our artists' best interests at heart, right. and we, they, I'm sure there would be a, a great short-term gain by trying to screw everybody to the ground. That's not the, definitely not the business we're in because we'll be dead in a year if we, if that's how we behave. You know? <laughs> so there um, you go. Clive, you know we've talked about free and paid and the rest of it as a radio station. Um, you've effectively given music away for free for a long time now. Um, is is that how you see things? Continuing is, is free still absolutes model. Well, I wouldn't didn't believe that we'd be giving away music for free. We effectively <laughs> provide entertainment service, and we pay and just under eleven percent of our t- turnover turnover to the rights holders for for that. So there's two relationships there. You know, it's ten and a half, eleven percent turnover for commercial radio that goes to um, PPL and PRS for the rights, um, which are very valuable and that we invest into with the music we play. Um, but on top of that, and that's the same, roughly the same for commercial radio and BBC. BBC paid marginally less, the, um, which I'm not sure why. And then on top of that, there's a marketing benefit to, we believe, in terms of the 41 million people a week of, uh, who listen to a radio in this country, of which 33 million are commercial. So there's a, there's a curation and music discovery benefit, depending on whether you're a new music service like Six Music or XFM, or whether you're a catalogue service like Gold. Um, to that. So it's, it's been a freemium product for consumers, but it's very much been a revenue generator for the music industry. And in fact, last time I checked, commercial radio was one of the biggest um, customers of PRS in terms of payments, and that is available statistics on PPL and PRS's report. And we don't have any bad debts, and we've been paying for 40 years. I do have a bit of an issue, uh, less so now in the last five years, where there's been a lot of streaming licensing. And my sense, without any fact, but my sense is that some of these 74 um, streaming products have not been quite so diligent with their bad debt or have wrapped up a lot of value in their contracts and, and then flipped their companies to other businesses and left the music industry sort of holding the licensing contract but not necessarily the money. Um, so I think, but I think that's happening less now. People are much savvier upfront payments, thinking about it, maybe equity deals, that's private. So it's, I think it's all about the, 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 the mix relationship and, and it comes back to that belief that radio is the part of the music discovery moment. So how do you think about free and paying for the music that you have to pay royalties for when, um, when you consider moving to become an online broadcaster, which is something you've done, because we that, you know, web ads, online ads are only getting cheaper, unfortunately. The inventory is, is growing and growing. Um, do you start char- looking for services to charge for? I think you've tried charging for, for a few mobile apps. Yeah, so we have simulcast rights only. Um, we, ha- we have the option to have non-simulcast rights. We've never taken up that option because we see ourselves as a broadcaster one-to-many. Mm. We don't see ourselves as a, as a Spotify um, one-to-one. And so, um, but we have tried to, one tries, we've, you know, I think we, our culture is we try things and learn and sometimes we'll fail. So we have had two um, paid-for apps instances, which weren't music apps, but they were effectively apps at radio apps. They both, the first one was 59 pence, we sold 5,000, therefore we made n- nothing because after Apple have taken their cut and we paid for the development, pretty much nothing. It was to sell at £2.99, I'm not sure now why we considered that the price of the first one being so cheap was the reason why it failed. Um, so the second one at two ninety nine, we sold 5,000 of them and that really convinced us that we are an advertiser funded business. But I do think we've, we've learned a lot from that and I don't, maybe somebody else can learn from our failure there, but I do think we learned a lot from that relationship. Can ITV learn from your failure there? They're a free ad supported business that is looking to charge. I, I think you know, I, you know, I think it's interesting. I see a lot of announcement about them charging for the ITV channels, but so far I'm not seeing a mechanism 
for that. And I do think, you know, we have to, you are, you are, you are, and where we've seen value, to come back to your other question, is, is where's the, I, believe, I agreed with Stevie Spring's comment from the future, is we believe in, in understanding our audience and niche, you know, definition of niche, so we don't target everybody. And we believe that we can provide a really good relationship with our target audience that actually is of value to brands, yeah. rather than just trying to go for scale. And where the web works for that is that we can use this phrase called intimate scale, where we can develop a much greater intimate relationship with IP as a broadcaster. Mm. So quite simply, broadcasting one-to-many, advertising one-to-one. Where we'll go one-to-one is an advertising. Where we'll stay in content is one-to-many. And once it comes one-to-one advertising, then the price of where we're advertising is actually going up, not coming down. And that's really uh, the benefit of what we've learned from the last couple of years. Right, interesting. I think it, it's really important in all of this, both offline and off online, because it's actually quite complicated and none of the delivering content are mutually exclusive. We've already touched upon it. We live in a world where the BBC television is free-free, apart from the licence fee. Mm. ITV is free so long as you're prepared to put up with the ads. Mm. And in the middle of that kind of environment, Sky still managed to go and sign up millions of people in this country who are all prepared to pay 50, 60, 70, 80 quid a month for the privilege of watching Sky. Well, where the hell is the commonality in the sense and all of that? And for me, it's just exactly the same things going on online, and we're going to have to just keep experimenting, changing, shifting, mm. and trying to find out what it is people want, what do they want in their service, can we deliver it to them, and can we make that relationship work commercially, in which case everybody's happy, let's move on. You know, we touched on piracy earlier, and it, it's an issue that the industry, UK Music, has, you know, campaign for legislation, You've submitted to the Digital Britain review a year or two ago now. Uh, you <laughs> probably did. <laughs> yeah, that filtered through to uh, Digital Economy Bill, which you influenced. Um, it was passed into law with graduated response action, with um, site blocking measures on the side or pending, I think, as well. And yet, you know, you effectively won. You 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 know, you won the right um, to ask ISPs to monitor for illegal activity for that to be you know, discouraged, uh, warned against, and then maybe kicked off eventually. Um, and yet, none of this has actually been implemented. Despite having been written into, the, into law, there's a judicial review kicking off today. I don't know if anyone's getting texts as to any proceedings from the court. Um, but no, is, is any of this ever going to come to pass? From the Treasury. Um, I think it also overlooks what was actually the first conversation I tried to engage in uh, when we started UK Music. And ironically enough, that was getting myself an invite to the Internet Service Provider's annual black tie dinner. And I have to say, Nick Landsman, the Secretary General, was utterly brilliant and utterly helpful. And I phoned Nick before any of this Digital Economy Act stuff started, uh, asking for 15 minutes because I wanted to speak to his mm. membership and that audience. Mm. And the point that I was trying to convey to them, and it's a conversation that I have to say is quite productive over the last couple of years, was the reality and it's based on a, wasn't some brilliant bit of insight on my part. Kind of fairly simple, straightforward bit of numbers. Simplified version, there's 21 million households in the UK. 17 million have got a broadband connection. The other 4 million, quite frankly, just don't want one. Or live so far up a valley in the north of Scotland, the market's never going to provide them with one. Mm. They're operating against a fixed wholesale price because there's only one national network. That's set by the regulator. It suddenly occurred to me, Actually, the business model of an ISP in this country is not looking that great. But as it turns out, guys, we've got the one thing as a music industry that all of your subscribers might be prepared to pay you some extra money for. So for me, once the Digital Economy Act was clearly important to the industry, 
it was running very much in parallel with a much broader conversation. And again, going back to that overall, for me, most significant overriding objective is to grow the value and the size of the online legitimate market. Now, you clearly have to have a conversation about unlicensed uses in that, but equally, it goes back to, guys, what can we do to identify demand, work together, help support the sound clouds of this world, develop their businesses, develop their ideas, and push out there and give people what they want, so long as we can all get paid for those who want to be paid. But the idea of ISPs offering music services that subscribers pay for and they pay the labels for it hasn't really gone off the ground. Sky has abandoned Sky Songs. Virgin, sure. Virgin Media's plans yeah. are being aborted again. Uh, there are, and it, unfortunately I can't go into the details of it right now, but uh, some of it's in the public domain. Uh, towards the end of last year there's been a little round table of some ISPs, in fact all the major ISPs and content industries right across music, film, TV, etc. And uh, that last meeting, which was literally three weeks ago, there was a bit put into the public domain. I can't go into the detail of it, but it is proving really productive and there really are, constructive and really positive. There are positive discussions with almost all the ISPs about mm. music being a part of their offering. Right. I think you'll probably see some announcements over the next two to three months that are really positive. Yeah. And I think um, something that was, that was picked up in the press but people may not know is that the BPI have what's called the Innovations Panel, which is a pan-industry panel of guys like me and commercial affairs guys who will make ourselves available to business partners who want to get into the music space. And that could be an ISP or a publisher or a supermarket. Help them shape and mould services and, and give them you know, the best advice we can and our experience and our sort of view of the market because we are, we, we are doing everything we can to bring digital services to market. So, I mean, how confident are you that the measures implemented into law by the Digital Economy Act will actually ever see light of day? The whole thing feels log-jammed, and I think you, you, know, you seem to be in a state of perpetual lobbying, really. You've, seen, you've turned your attention now to the Hargreaves IP Revere. Um, well, you still, it goes back to you. I'm genuinely fascinated by everybody becomes obsessed about the Digital Economy Act. Because hmm. for me, it goes back to that question, what are we all trying to achieve here, boys and girls? It's one part of it. It's one part Correct. of the digital equation. And innovation is one understand customers and giving them services yep. that they that work for them is is one you know understanding that market Te technology is a big part of it you know i i now believe that legal services are better than legal services you can have a far better ex far better experience now there will always be people who are typically the most vocal who will who will just don't want to pay for music yeah. and will happily sit and you know part away downloading illegal tracks p2p locker services whatever those, pe those people, may, may, we, we may never be able to reach those people. Okay. For me, just to be clear about this, I hope I've outlined here that for UK music and therefore the broader industry, the objective is <coughs> to grow the digital market. And for me, the Digital Economy Act was about trying to work with that 80-90% of the people who may be indulging in something that we're slightly unhappy with, but I think fundamentally are all pretty decent people. Mm. They just need a bit of help and guidance to get them over and doing something that is consuming music that where those that wish to be paid can get paid for their time and effort. So it is Paul's head in the head. It is simply one component of what has to be a much broader, wider ranging, more collaborative, right. supportive, working partnership relationship that will actually deliver everything we want for everybody involved in that conversation. Okay, so let's leave it open to any, uh, any questions, comments, tidbits, conversations. Anyone raise your hand? Yep, down here if we have a mic. Where are you from? 
Okay. I just wanted to, to ask um, to see what you thought about the uh, Google OnePass um, subscription um, service, which we talked about in the last session. Google Good. OnePass um, is that something? Is that a new model which could um, provide a future for the uh, industry? It's, it's a this is a clear application for music. I sat. I was in that presentation, and you know that it was. Uh, referred to very much in terms of the publishing industry, the magazine and newspaper publishing issue, but clearly there's, there's music applications to it. Um, the fact that I, I tweeted that during that and I got a tweet back from another delegate here saying, who the hell would want to work in music? Which I thought was a bit, <laughs> a bit aggressive. So I might, go and well, I, might, I might go and find him. No, I'm speaking next door at the moment actually, so I know what he looks like. Um, but I think, I think you know, payment, um, payment is a part of the the digital chain, I think, or the mechanics of payment, if you like, part of the digital chain that w don't often get talked about in that in that mix. And I think, particularly for younger kids, it's a it's a difficult thing. You know, if you don't have your own credit card, you rely on mum and dad. You know, I, I'm not sure that one pass is, is the solution to that particular problem. But I think anything that makes transacting and payment of any service for any media publisher easier has got to be a really sort of positive thing. Be interesting to see how that stacks up in sort of the Apple. I didn't say that. Oh. What I said was, what I said was, I think there's a generation whose whose consumption habits are completely different to the consumption habits that people of our age might might have, where owning buying music to own may not mean anything to them, and I don't I don't think it's as black and white saying anyone under the age of well. Uh, We'll never want to buy on anything because clearly that's not how the world works. But um, what, what, what I was referring to was that there's a customer segment out there for all of us who, who can commercially add to the music industry, but it might not be by buying something to them. I mean, Google is rumoured to be working on its own music service. Could, is OnePass going to figure? I don't know. I mean, uh, uh, speculatively, it would seem like a solution for that. Um, and. I mean, typically Google are an advertising funded company, aren't they? So if they had a product of their own, it would be quite a leap for them to charge for that product, rather than one pass being positioned today to us as being a way for you to charge for your product that, we'll, that Google will take 10% on. So I, I don't know anything more about Google's strategy, but if you, if you look at the past, it's, they have tended to be advertising funded. So it'd be quite a big jump for them to become a subscription based product. I, th I think that the. Uh, might be prepared to make a jump along those lines. Speculatively, I'll add. In terms of the lost generation, I can only give you a personal example from about half past six this morning. I a conversation with my 14-year-old son who seems only too happy to pay for music. It's only expects me to bloody well pay for it. <laughs> so they well, don't seem to have lost the instinct. Even, that, even, that, even that, you know, that's quite indicative of somehow, that I, th I feel like the music industry gets beaten up pretty frequently and that's a sort of a low it's a low level aggressive term that isn't it lost generation that implies there's a generation who don't care about music i mean there's a generation who probably who might very well care about music more than more than any generation you know because it's so ubiquitous to them and so part of their everyday life okay we can sneak in one further question as an appetizer before lunch uh, let's go here Um, and I've seen lots of things like Red Bull partnerships, and I don't think we've got that at the moment. 